Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I thought maybe the best approach to this message would be to call this message, This Means War. Turn to the person next to you and say, This Means War. Turn to the other person and say, This Means War. On the count of three, let's shout it out. This means... This means... This means war. Here's the thing. You and I, we are in a spiritual battle. This morning I I talked about spiritual hospitality. Tonight I'm talking a little bit about uh, spiritual warfare. You and I are in a war. There's two kinds of people in this world. There's those that know that they're in a spiritual war and there's those that don't know that they're in a spiritual war. For those of us who lifted our hands and said we're followers of Jesus, we are people who are aware that we are in a spiritual war. The Bible says the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. That's not to say that we are necessarily violent people, but it does mean that there are some things in the spiritual realm that you've got to fight for. Come on, there's some things that you've got to fight for. There's some things that aren't just going to drop in your lap. There's some things that you've got to go to war for. Uh, this means war. This means war. There's some things that you've got to fight for. I love the message of grace. The message of grace is my lifeline. The message of where would we be without His amazing grace. That my faith isn't based on what I do. My faith is based on what Jesus has done for me. When He said it is finished, I can't add a single thing to what the cross has finished on my behalf because anytime you add to the finished work of the cross, you only subtract. You only take away from what is so beautiful and glorious. And as much as I love grace, grace Grace is so much more than mercy. Grace also empowers me. Grace also empowers me to fight the spiritual war that God has called me to fight. Uh, Grace doesn't mean that there is no longer effort in my spiritual war. It just means that there's no longer earning. I'm no longer earning His favour. I'm no longer earning His grace. I start with His favour. I start with His love. I start with His mercy. But that's not the end for me because the Bible calls me a soldier. We are more than a family. We are fellow brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. There's a battle to fight. There's a battle to be won. It's born in Jesus, but there's something you've got to work out. Work out your salvation. Work out the things that God has placed in you. There's some things that you've got to fight for. There are things that are opposing us. There are things that are set up against us. Uh, Jeremiah 50 says, The Lord has opened His armory and has brought out His weapons. There are weapons of warfare that God has placed in our hands. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, the Bible says, but they are mighty in God for the demolishing of arguments, the pulling down of strongholds, things that have a stronghold on you, things that have controlled you, things that have led you. Some of you are here and it feels like you've got a spiritual bungee cord attached to you and you take about three steps forward and sooner or later that stronghold pulls you back. Well, God's in the business of breaking and setting you free. The reason the Son of 
God came was to destroy the devil's work. The reason Jesus stepped onto this planet, the reason he tore a hole in the ceiling of the universe and stepped in to our humanity was that he would destroy the devil's work over your life. Not just break it, destroy it. Something that's broken can be fixed. But when Christ destroys something off your life, you are set free. There's people in this place that that God wants to set free and liberate. And it comes not by mind nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This means, this means war. Uh, 2 Corinthians 2.11 says we should live lives in such a way that Satan will not outsmart us for we are familiar with his evil schemes. There's a scheme against you. Ephesians 6 verse 11, clothe yourself with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Every single believer, every single person who walks with Jesus must at least have four things in their life that they have a knowledge of. Hosea the prophet says, my people, they're dying because of a lack of knowledge, a lack of understanding. There's four things that we've all got to know if we are followers of Jesus. There's four things at least that we need to know. Firstly, I need to have a knowledge of Christ and his great salvation. Uh, Secondly, I need to have a knowledge of the word of God because faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. Young people, listen to me. It's time to get hungry for the word of God. It's time to dig into the word of God for yourself. I'm not talking about the word that you get on Sunday. I'm talking about the revelation you live by Monday. Uh, the The word sustains you. The word gives you life. And we live in a world that's going to oppose the word of God. But the word is what produces faith in us. We need a knowledge of the word of God. Thirdly, we need a knowledge of our God assignment. What is your God assignment? What is the thing that God has gifted you with? You are unique. There is something inside of you that that not only this church needs, but this world needs. There's something deposited in you that, that is gonna point people to Jesus. What's your God assignment? What's your personal vision? And the fourth thing is a knowledge of the enemy's scheme against you. There is a plan to rob, kill, and destroy. There's a plan to take from you what God has assigned from you. I love that Jacob in the end of Genesis, he sits down with all of his 12 sons and he says, now this is the God assignment over you. And he talks about them prophetically and says, this is what God's given you. Every one of his sons, this is what God has given you. But I've got to let you know, this is what's against you. This is what's against you. And each and every one of us have to understand that we are in a war. We are in a spiritual war and we have opposition at work pushing against us, and that we should do life in a way that is not oblivious to the fact that we have an enemy. And as a way of a foundation, in a sense, we have to understand about spiritual warfare who our enemy is. You've got to know your enemy. Ultimately, at the very basis of things, the enemy, Satan, is a covenant breaker. What he does and how he acts and his expression on the earth is that he is a covenant breaker. When he comes into the garden at Genesis, his whole purpose is to break covenant. Break covenant between man and God. And every time we break covenant between man and God, we quickly break covenant between man and man, between each other. We always fall out with God before we fall out with each other. 
You don't just have isolated incidents and conflict with people. No, there's a falling out with God before there's a falling out with each other. He is a covenant breaker. His desire is to break covenant uh, with God and, and then break covenant with each other. And then when that happens, we see in the story of Genesis that all kinds of destruction is unleashed upon the planet. So much so that, that God himself says, that's it. I can't, uh, you know what? I, I almost repent of my own creation and brings a great flood of judgment against the wickedness of man because the covenant has been so gr- dramatically broken. Only to find that through Noah, he reestablishes a covenant because God is a covenant maker. God is a covenant keeper. When we understand that, that the, our enemy is a covenant breaker, all we need to come to a place to is this means war. This means war. And we have a covenant maker, a covenant keeper on our side. We have a covenant keeper who is incredibly faithful. His love is consistent. His love is persistent. His love is indestructible. His love is incorruptible. He is incredibly faithful. He he is the covenant keeping God, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. It's known as the Tetragrammaton. It's the unspeakable name of God. It's not Elohim, which is the general name for some God out there. It's the personal God who steps into our humanity and you can can tell what kind of God he is because he makes a promise and he keeps it. He's a covenant keeping God. He comes to Abraham and Abraham says to him, how will I know that you'll keep your promise? How will I know that this is true? And he says, I'll make a covenant with you. And he takes all kinds of animals and he sacrifices them and he arranges the pieces. He arranges these pieces. The blood flows into a trench and the next thing you know, God himself comes out in the form of a fire pot and goes amongst those pieces. It's known as a suzerain vassal treaty. It's an arrangement. It's a covenant. It's an agreement. It's a promise. It's like a marriage commitment. And, and what, it, what it means is whenever, whenever someone walks between the pieces of those divided animals and they walk through the blood, they, it's called the blood path. They walk along the blood path. And what they're saying is, if I am ever unfaithful, if I ever break my covenant, if I ever break my promise, may what happened to them happen to me. May I be cut down the middle, divided and destroyed. And every time those covenants are made, it is always the lesser person, the the, the lesser vassal that walks between those pieces and says, I submit to you and I I, I take all the responsibility of the covenant. But we have a covenant keeper. We have a covenant maker who, although he is the greater, he walks between the pieces and takes all the responsibility of the promise that he has made for you. And that's just a shadow for what God did upon the cross of Christ, because upon the cross of Christ, Jesus took on all of the punishment and all of the the ramifications of our brokenness and our shame and our sin. He became sin so that you and I could be the righteousness of God. He walked the blood path. He took on the responsibility. Why? Because God is a covenant keeper. You can trust Him. You can rely on Him. He voluntarily obligates Himself to be faithful to you, even when we are not faithful to Him. You've got to know your enemy because His desire is to break covenant with God. Every activity, all sin is about covenant breaking. So what's the problem? Why can't I commit adultery? Well, because it breaks covenant. Why can't I just sleep around? Well, that's because it breaks covenant. What's wrong with jealousy and envy and greed? Well, inevitably, you're going to break covenant. You're going to hurt someone. You're going to harm someone. All kinds of sin has a ramification and an overflow. Why? Because our enemy is a covenant breaker. You know what? That's why our unity is so important. 
That's why there is great power in our unity. My wife and I, we have a covenant. We have a relationship. We've been married for 17 years. We have a covenant. But the language of our covenant is loyalty. The reason we're still married is because we're loyal to each other. And we're loyal to the covenant. You know, and so what that means is you can disagree with my head, but you can't disagree with my heart. Because you've got to know I'm for you, that I'm loyal to you, that I'm committed to you. Uh, we're, we're together forever. I'm, I'm loyal to you. You can trust me. So when we have disagreements, sooner or later she realizes that she was wrong. You know, she's not here. I can say that. That's cool. You know, sooner or later she will realize that she has to submit to my authority. Uh, you know, and, uh, uh, but, but the, the truth of the matter is the reason why we're still together is because we speak the language of loyalty because loyalty is the language of covenant. And the same is true with how we go to war. You know, when we talk about spiritual warfare, people love the idea of, you know, you know, I know what spiritual warfare is about. It's about going into the prayer room for five minutes. I'm going to speak in tongues. I'm going to declare the blood. I'm going to break a few things in the spirit. And that should do the job. But you know what? It's, there's something more powerful than that. There's something more powerful than that. And that's proactive loyalty. That's, that's actually the way that we build each other up and keep the covenant of unity together. And that we support one another. And that we speak life to each other. You know, there's, there's far more to spiritual warfare than, than you know, uh, the, the than the fact that you have to break the curse off your life because your great-great-grandmother's cat was a Freemason, right? Uh, it, there's, there's more to spiritual warfare than going, well, you know, once I listened to Billy Ray Cyrus and I listened to the album backwards and it told me to start to smoke marijuana. Um, no, no, there's something more important. Than that. I had some university guy going on one time. Some people come from Candyland Christian Church and they're going on about, you know, um, uh, you know, I just feel like over the city we need to break the spirit of Aladdin. Like the spirit of Aladdin? I said, dude, we can't beat Disney, right? That's just too much. Uh, you know, no, there's, there's, there's far more deliberate things that we can do in terms of spiritual warfare. And those deliberate things are the way that we are loyal to each other. Because loyalty is the language of heaven. Loyalty is the language of covenant. So our loyalty is something that we can be deliberate about because accidental loyalty is easily broken. If loyalty is based on convenience, we can walk away from it in a moment. But loyalty, a brother is born for adversity. We need to stick together. We're in a fight together. We, we need to also articulate why we're loyal. In a sense, we're backyard vision casters. Let me tell you why I love this church. Let me tell you why I love this church, because I got a revelation from God about what this church is doing. Because you know what? This church is making much of the name of Jesus, and that's my business. I'm with you on this church. I'm with you. I'm with you in this mission. We're going to change this city. We're going to see our high schools change, our universities change. We are salt and light. We are a city on a hill that can't be hidden. And I'm with it. You know, and their values are my values. It's not them and us. No, I'm a partner in this vision. And so I'm proactive in my loyalty. As a dad, I'm a backyard vision caster. I sit down with my kids at the dinner table and I'll tell them, you know why? You know why we worship? Because God himself came and met with us. Our life would be completely different if God didn't come and meet with us. You know, you know why we pray? Because God answers prayer. 
He's faithful. And we articulate why we're loyal to certain things. We need to be people that speak life. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Can salt water and, and, and pure water flow out of the same source? Come on, it's time for us to speak life. It's time for us to build one another up. It's time for us to submit to one another. It's time for us to prefer one another because it's far too easy to go. Spiritual warfare is five minutes of speaking in tongues in the corner and hopefully that'll do. Uh, that's far too easy compared to the fact that maybe what I need to do is change the way I speak around the kitchen table at six o'clock in the afternoon and begin to speak life and, and to begin to speak loyalty because loyalty is a, come on this means this means war we've got to go to war we have a real enemy and we have a real challenge and it's a real warfare and it requires that you and I engage this challenge you got to know your enemy Satan his name means adversary the name Satan is an indication of his nature. He is literally the enemy. He is the enemy of God. He is the enemy of God's word. He is the enemy of those who put their hope in God. He hates God and he hates you. He hates everything about covenant. He hates everything about loyalty. Uh, throughout the Bible, we get snippets of his character by his different names. He is known as the deceiver. So when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. That's why it means war when we go to God and say, God, renew my mind. Change the way I think about this. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it praiseworthy? Is it of good report? Well, think about some of those things. Uh, is it true? Some of the things that, that's why the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God to bring down um, uh, imaginations and pretensions and things that we've put up in our mind. No, some of those things might not necessarily be true. That's why the Bible in the book of Philippians says, think upon those things that are true. Well, I'm a complete loser, aren't I? No, you're not. Is that true? Is that true? Oh, I think it is true. Is it 100% true? Maybe you're only an 80% loser, right? Just, it's not 100% true. And what about this? What if the opposite was true? What if you had more going for you than you could possibly imagine? What if there is far more going for you than what's against you? What if the King of heaven is eyes upon you? it make all the difference. Come on, he's a deceiver. He's a liar. He speaks his native tongue when he lies. The Bible gives us pictures of who he is. He is the lion. He is like a roaring lion seeking those who he might devour. You think about that. You just need to watch a documentary to work out how, what his strategy is like. He is a roaring lion. That means that he will go around seeking to remove people from the herd. He's, he seeks to devour you. He seeks to destroy you. He's got a mission to crush you. Uh, and whenever a lion pursues his prey, he's after, uh, he's after a few different things. He, he's after those who are young. The young, the, the young are vulnerable. The young in God. Those of you who are relatively new Christians, look out because he's trying to snatch away what he's put inside of you. That's why we got to look after the young. That's why we got to look after the young people in our church. That's why, because he goes after the young. If he could get them while they're young, he doesn't have to deal with them when they're old. Come on, we've got a real, this means, this means war. He goes after the young. He goes after the wounded. Why is it that we need to protect our lives from offenses and pain? Because he goes after the wounded. Because when you're wounded, it affects your walk. Oh, come on. When you're wounded, you begin to limp. When you're wounded, you leave a trail for him to follow, you, follow after you. When you're wounded, you don't walk the, the, the same pace as the rest of the herd. Come on, we got to walk together. we got to stick together. We're, we're going somewhere. I'm not lagging behind. It's the wounded and it's the separated. 
He'll separate you from the herd to make it easy to bring you down. He, he seeks to devour you, so he will separate you. Come on, no longer, don't, don't forsake the gathering together of believers. Uh, you know, it's a shame as a pastor, what you can actually see people being, in a sense, drifting away to a place where their faith will be snatched from them. And it's hard for your pastor to say this to you without you thinking that he's manipulating you to making you someone who attends church more often. But can we just be spiritual for a second? There is a reason why we gather together. We gather together for the building up of our faith and the lifting up of the name of Jesus and understanding that we are in a battle, we are in a war that I need to be equipped for. I need the weapons of my warfare. I need the weapons of faith and the weapons of prayer and the weapon of the word. I need to be able to fight and battle. And if we get separated, sometimes I wonder, man, you know what? If you were just here three weeks ago, you would have got the word for your war. But instead you got separated and you got fooled and there was a scheme against you. Come on, this means war. We need to be aware of his tactics against us. Elsewhere, the Bible calls him Beelzebub, the Lord of the flies. He's the one that is able to implant parasitic things around the place. He scatters parasites and disease and dysfunction. He spreads it around. He's the Lord of the flies. Um, you know, in the ancient, ancient world, uh, shepherds would have this problem with sheep because there were sheep flies and the sheep flies would, would uh, land upon the sheep. And what they would do is they would plant eggs around the nasal cavity of the sheep. And as they plant their eggs around the nasal cavity of the sheep, eventually those eggs would hatch. And those, uh, the, the, the eggs of flies are also known as, um, as maggots. Anyone having fried rice tonight? Anyone? Uh, maggots. And those maggots would then just begin to crawl into the nasal cavity of the sheep. And the sheep would begin to go crazy because these parasites are getting in, uh, getting into their, their mind. And, and so sheep would begin to run up against rocks and bang their head up against rocks, run up to a tree, bang their, all these kind of self-harm behaviors that look irrational and insane. They don't make any sense, but we have the good shepherd. He is my shepherd who anoints my head with oil. And so the ancient shepherds would take a thick oil and they would place it on the head of the sheep so that those eggs and those flies can't get in. You have an enemy that seeks to plant buzzing in your head. Things that cause you to do the most irrational thing. You get into relationships that hurt you. You get into addictions that hurt you. People are all looking at you going, why are you so crazy? Well, what you need is the good shepherd to anoint your head with oil, the oil of his authority, the oil of his anointing, the oil of his empowering. Come on. This means, this means war. This means war. A real enemy, an enemy of our soul. His name in the Bible is the devil. In the New Testament, that word means a false accuser. It means a slanderer. He's known as the accuser of the brethren. And notice that, he's known as the accuser of the brethren. Um, not just the accuser of the world in general. He has an accusation for believers because he has a personal issue with believers because his nature is a covenant breaker. He wants to break your covenant with God. So he accuses believers. That's why we gotta be careful about the way we accuse other people. 
That's why we've got to be careful of whether or not we slander people and make assumptions about people's motives because there's, there's already one accuser of the brethren. It's good that we wouldn't have too many more. Amen, right? And so we need to, <laughs> we need to, <laughs> we need to fight with a level of loyalty and with a level of unity. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's why some of you are coming to this place tonight and you hear, in a sense, the accusation coming against you. Who do you think you are lifting your hands in worship? Who do you think you are dancing around down the front here? Who do you think you are? If people only knew what was going on inside of your life, you're not even worthy of being here. You think you're loved? You're not loved. No one loves you. You're not worthy of people's attention. You're not worthy of people's care. He is the accuser of the brethren. And, and, and when, when we see this in Scripture, we see that we have one that fights on our behalf because when we understand that he's the accuser of the brethren, we need to say, this means, this means war. This means war. Zechariah, in the book of Zechariah, we see the picture of Joshua, the high priest. And Joshua, the high priest, is there at the altar of God worshiping. And there next to him, at his right hand, is Satan accusing him. So you can be right there in a place of worship and in the place of revelation, and you're in the place of accusation as well. You can be in a church meeting and still be having an accusing voice speaking into your life and and the devil accuses him of his sin, accuses him of his frailty, accuses him of his weaknesses and there we have one that fights on our behalf. We have an advocate. We have one that fights for you. We have the, the captain of the Lord's host. We have the one that's able to battle on our behalf and he steps forward and he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, the Lord of heaven rebuke you. And he says, was not this man a stick snatched from the fire. Come on, the promise of God over your life is a smoldering wick he will not snuff out and a bruised reed he will not break. Why? Because he is the covenant keeper. He is endlessly faithful. He is incredibly loving. He has amazing grace. And right there, the, the enemy is rebuked and, and God says, now take away his clothes, his, his un, unclean clothes and put a new garment on him. You see, this means war. This means that we have have one who fights on our behalf. That's why the Bible says in Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For what the law was unable to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering once and for all. Why? So that we can stand in any place of worship and say, I don't stand here on my own merits. I stand here because I'm hidden in Christ Jesus. When, Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees you covered in, in Christ. This means war. You have an accuser that speaks against you. And to be honest with you, one of our biggest challenges in spiritual warfare is sometimes we are so, so much more mindful of our sin than our Savior. And whenever you feel the accusing voice, be more mindful of your Savior than of your sin. Think more highly of Jesus. Make much of Jesus. Our problem is, is that we have a university degree understanding of our brokenness and we have a primary school understanding of our Saviour. But God, I pray that you would cause us to be geniuses when it comes to the gospel so that we won't fall and stumble at the lies of our enemy. This means war. It means war. Elsewhere, the Bible calls him the tempter. His whole mission and assignment for the righteous is to tempt. Temptation is an attempt upon a weak area of your life, an area of appetite. Temptation can be like an x-ray 
that helps you identify the weaknesses in your life that need to have God's strength spoken into them. The areas of your temptation meet an appetite. And the nature of his temptation going all the way back to the garden is that temptation is a conversation. Temptation is a conversation and a process of case building where you begin to build a case as to why you should go in the direction that he's leading you. Temptation is to present the bait, but hide the hook. Come on, look at that apple, man. That apple is unbelievable. Look at it. It looks good for the eyes, and I bet you that tastes sweet as, right? Uh, it looks good. But he doesn't come out and say, and once you've taken a bite of that apple, you know, you and your husband are going to be torn to pieces. Your children are going to murder each other, and all disease and death is going to be broken out upon the earth. People will oppress each other, and you will run from this paradise and be completely broken. Death will come into the world. But anyway, have a bite of the apple. No, no, he presents the bait. He hides the hook. He doesn't, he doesn't show you, uh, you know, that's how affairs happen. They present the bait. Oh, well, you know, how can I resist? I'm a red-blooded male. Yeah, well, on the other side of this, what you didn't see is the hook that's going to destroy your marriage, destroy your life, destroy your family, just tear things to pieces. No, he presents the bait. He hides the hook. There's not a single kid that grows up and says, you know what, my mission in life is to die in a gutter. No, but, but somewhere along the line, someone presented the bait. They presented alcohol, they presented drugs, they presented these things. And, and, and it's for, to present the bait, but to hide the hook. But this means war. We're aware that it's a conversation. And so in this conversation, we turn our hearts towards heaven. Amidst the conversation, we're aware that this is a temptation that he's speaking to us about. That's why in Matthew uh, chapter 4, you see the story of Jesus, where he faces temptation. And I think if Jesus is faced with temptation, I'm pretty sure you will be too. And for 40 days, he went into a wilderness season. And notice it wasn't just three temptations in that story. It was a 40-day season. Sometimes we go through testing seasons. And, and, and here's the thing. When you're in a testing season, just remind yourself that sometimes God will lead you into a testing season because Jesus was led into the wilderness. He was led. Jesus didn't get on the wrong bus and ended up in some Jordanian wilderness. And he's like, what am I doing here? No, he was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness in a season of testing. Every transition that you go through, every transition of promotion will be preceded by a season of testing. Right now, this church, I believe, I don't, I've got no calendar reason to say this, but I really believe that this church is, is, is in a place of transition. There's something shifting in the life of this church. There's something transitioning in the life of this church. And with every transition, there is a testing season. And, and our challenge is so often, so often we, we, we fall out on the threshold of our breakthrough. At the moment, things are about to shift because on the end of this 40 days, Jesus is going to preach his first sermon and say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because I'm going to know why I'm called. I'm going to know why I'm here. I'm going to have clarity of my vision, clarity of my mission. Hey, don't waste a perfectly good season of testing. In the middle of your trials, remind yourself, there must be something good on the other side of this that I'm worth being attacked for. I've got to fight the good fight. This means war. You see, uh, Jesus understood that the attack was on. If you are the son of God. You know, he just heard from heaven 
You are the son of, you are my beloved son in whom I love, in whom I'm well pleased. You know what the devil's attack is? It's on your identity. It's on your sonship. You are not an orphan. You are a child of God. You belong, you've got the affirmation from heaven even before you begin. If you are the son of God, and he answers with the word of God. The word is our weapon. He answers, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. Not the word that proceeded, not the word that you got five years ago or the word you got 10 years ago. No, the word you got this morning, the word that proceeds out. It's your right to hear the voice of God. It's your right to have revelation. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them by name. If you're a Christian in this place and you lifted your hand, you're, He says, my sheep know my voice. You've at least heard it at one time and you can hear it again. Every word that proceeds out the mouth of God. We need the word to sustain us. He comes systematically over and over to tempt him. In fact, it says in verse five that the devil took him up. Everyone say, took him up. He took him up and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. The pinnacle of the temple. The top of the church structure. He took him to the top of the church. He elevated him and tempted him. Just a few verses later to show that it's a systematic attack. Verse 8, it says, again, the devil took him up. This time to an exceedingly high mountain. Showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And, and said, I could give them to you. You see, not all promotion, not all upward movement, not all things that seem like a benefit to us, not all upward movement comes from God. Sometimes things come into our life, they look so good and they could actually be the test as well. So even when things that are good come into our life, just, just remind yourself, I've got to stay close to God. Don't get taken up in yourself. Don't get taken up in the church structure. Where is my position? Where is my identity? Where is your identity? You're a son. You're a child of God. That's where your identity is. Uh, if I could just get higher at the church structure. No, no, it's not. You're just getting taken up. Sometimes we delusionally get taken up. This is who I am. This is what my gift. People don't recognize me. I just don't get it. You know, I, start, I started in the church and I just said, oh, God, if you can use anything, use me. And then, then at the end of the year, I said, God, I feel so used. Why doesn't anyone recognize me? God recognizes you. This is an expression of worship. Not everything that takes you up is, is, is necessarily God. Not, not all of it. Some of you go, wow, I got taken up. I got picked up. I got picked up, you know, and he picked me up. I've been spending so long looking for the one. I just want the one, you know, the one. He completes me. And, he, and finally, there he is. And you know what? Sometimes, sometimes you can get picked up in the, and those seasons are your most vulnerable seasons, not your greatest strengths. Sometimes you've got to recognize that some promotions are testing seasons and because, uh, because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So even when you're in a season of promotion, come before God. And, and, and in a sense, humble yourself before God. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This means war. This means war. Singers and musicians, why don't you come? This means war. At the end of his temptation, we sometimes forget that Jesus was fully human and fully divine. And we sometimes underestimate the weight of testing seasons upon the emotional structure 
of Christ, on the physical structure of Christ. Bible candidly says, you know, he ate nothing for 40 days and at the end of that time he was hungry. Understatement of the year. You can get to the end of a season and feel like you just made it by the skin of your teeth. But just like Jesus, at that time, behold, angels came and ministered to him. At the end of your testing season, in the midst of your testing season, you have a right to rest and recuperation in the presence of God. Angels came and ministered to him. Angels are messengers from heaven. They dwell in the throne room of God and have a message just for you. Our rest and recuperation in all of our warfare, it comes from a place of revelation that God speaks into our life. It also speaks to us about relationships because there are times when we just need people to come alongside us and help us to continue our walk and continue our journey. In every fight, you look at a boxing match and two combatants will go at it round after round with all the demands, sometimes prevailing, sometimes hurting in this battle that's at work. And incrementally, the round ends with a ding and you head back to your, you head back to your corner. Who's in your corner? Who's in your corner? You need to go back to your corner. Every now and then in your fight, you just got to remember to go back to your corner because that's where you go back to your corner. And you know who's in your corner? Your team's in your corner. Your team's in your corner and they're saying, come on champ, come on. You're a born champion. Remember we trained for this. Come on, you lift your hands. It's time for you to fight. You got more ground to take. Come on champ, lift your eyes, lift your eyes, lift your vision, lift your purpose, lift your gain. You trained for this. You, this guy's got nothing on you. You're gonna get back out there and you got a combination. You got an attack. You got a weapon to wield. Come on champ, you're gonna get out there. You're gonna do this. Who's in your corner? Who's in your corner? Because there are times in our life where we need to recognize that there are people in our corner. And not just, not just, the, 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 not just our friends, not just that, but we also have one who fights on our behalf. Uh, you see, that's why the battle is not mine, the battle is the Lord's. Uh, you see, the greatest thing about spiritual warfare for you and I is that this is a battle that's already won. Come on, it's a battle that's already won. The promise of Genesis and the prophecy of Genesis right at the beginning, it's known as the first gospel, the proto-evangelion, the very first gospel, the very first prophecy of salvation that God gives at the very fall, at the very moment sin entered, He prophesied over the enemy. He spoke over the enemy and says, I've got a seed coming and I will destroy you with a seed. I'm going to destroy you with a saviour. I'm going to send him down generation after generation. I'm going to send Jesus into this planet and you may just bruise his heel but he will crush your head the reason the son of the, come on and that's a reality right now we have an enemy whose head has been crushed through the finished work of Jesus Christ who came into this planet for one clear reason to destroy the devil's work he's been disarmed he's been shamed he made a public spectacle of him through the cross and now we are led in triumphant victory the battle is not mine the battle is the Lord's. Thank you for taking the time to listen. 
If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 